Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. I like doing it. You know, I love running routes. We better be in Florida. It better be sunny. And there better be some sort of fruity drink involved. With Matt Harmon. It seems like you know ball the way you talk, so. <laughs> Thank you. Someone clipped that. Looking forward to facing your mom at some point. Last night at the bar we were at, I had some really bad queso. I've never had no bad queso, really. Good morning. It's Wednesday, August 10th, 2022. And this is... It's the Scott, it's the 500th episode of the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. The first episode of this podcast, which by the way has gone through like a thousand iterations, came out exactly four years ago. It's crazy if uh, about a billion things have happened to all of us since then. Like I said, the podcast has gone through a ton of iterations, but I'm really happy with where we are now. I'm really happy with the three guys who are on this show with me love working with Andy Scott and Dalton and I'm just very excited to you know continue to build and grow this thing and you know thank you to everybody that's listened with us along the way especially the folks who've been there from the very beginning and heard all the changes that have happened but Scott 500 episodes pretty awesome um I think we've got a a great thing going here and and I'm pretty excited just about this season and, and the future of this show I am too. And uh, amen to our great podcast name, Surviving All 500 Episodes, which is pretty exciting. But I actually um, don't think that's true. I'm pretty sure it was just the Yahoo Sports Fantasy podcast, and then it became the Yahoo Fantasy. Fo- I think, yeah, this is like a different. Uh, the show is entirely different. Uh, the name, I think. I think. I'm pretty sure that's true. All right. Well, uh, let's <laughs> make this the best. When, when people go back and rank the top 500, which I'm sure they will. You know, not just sports people, but like Rolling Stone will probably do like, what were the what were the best, you know, 20 episodes of this podcast? Let's make this the number one episode, man. Let's do it. Let's do it. We got a lot to talk about. We have a very interesting uh, team to preview in the Indianapolis Colts, some big ticket players there. We're also going to go over Scott's uh, article that just hit the site, an absolute banger, his running back shuffle. We'll get into that. But first, we don't have any really big news to talk about, but Scott, I've got a, I've got a little bit of... Like I'm, I don't want to call it a rant because I think it's kind of self-serving, but like a, a I got a Traylon Burks thought to get off here, and I thought you'd be the best person to bounce this off with. Um, there was a report yesterday that that hit the newswire and was I, I think, you know, I'm not gonna call anybody out, but I think the original report was a little bit less dramatic than you know like the what do you what do you call it the um like the aggregated report and take on it, but basically. Traylon Burks has not exclusively worked with the first team, Tennessee Titans offense. The original report uh, was from Mike Herndon at Mike Miracles, who covers the Titans. He wanted to note, actually, that, you know, certainly Traylon Burks has run the wrong route a couple of times or, you know, he, he didn't run the route like the wide receiver coach wanted. He's been largely good in training camp. But, yeah, he's worked with both the second and first team offense in training camp. Now, Scott, this obviously comes on the heel of Traylon Burks being out of shape in minicamp. He's admitted that he was out of shape, wasn't ready to rock, but he did take, you know, the coaching seriously from minicamp, got in shape for training camp. And like Mike said, he's largely been good. The thing that is kind of grinding my gears right now, Scott, is that everybody is immediately taking, oh, well, Traylon Burks, remember when Justin Jefferson was running behind B.C. Johnson in Vikings training camp? Well, 
you know, Justin Jefferson did open the season behind BC Johnson. It didn't, it took to, it took to like week three for Justin Jefferson to get run with the starters. Maybe that happens with Traylon Burks. I do think it's a little interesting that fellow rookie wide receiver Kyle Phillips, who I'm a big fan of, is a, a like a day three slot receiver prospect. He has been running almost exclusively with the first team while Traylon Burks has just been mixing in. You know, people want to say, oh, the Traylon Burks thing, it's the same as Jamar Chase's drops. Well, no, it's absolutely not because drops are whatever. That doesn't matter. Traylon Burks not running exclusively with the first team. Jamar Chase was running exclusively with the first team from the very jump and throughout training camp. So, I don't know. I think that the uh, the r- initial report was strange. The way that took people took that is like Burks is not not going to get any time with the first team offense. I think he's going to get time with the first team offense. I'm fine drafting Traylon Burks this year, but I do think we should not be so quick to immediately assume that any rookie receiver that has some negativity going on in the offseason is immediately going to become Justin Jefferson or Jamar Chase. Like there could actually be some negativity to take in the range of outcomes here with Traylon Burks and who I don't think is anywhere close to Justin Jefferson or Jamar Chase as a prospect, certainly not as an NFL ready guy. So I don't really know what I'm trying to say here, Scott, but I think we just need to calm down with this whole, any rookie that's got any negativity, let's just completely ignore it because we've seen two absolute phenoms over the last two years. I don't know. That seems a little bit of a risky bet to me. Yeah, I think we're on the same page on this. You you can play that game both ways, too. I mean, when you have somebody who comes into some negative news, you can come to that fork in the road and say, oh, wait a minute, this negative news story played out before and this guy popped. And then if somebody can dig in and say, well, this type of negative news hit for somebody else, you know, a year ago and that, and that guy is out of the league now or he's fifth string on his team. You know, yeah, it's really convenient to compare it to Justin Jefferson, you know, a guy yeah. who maybe comes into the league, you know, once every 12 years, 15 years or something like that. Um, I, I'm with you, man. Um, and it just speaks to also, you know, Twitter, I think Twitter is like the greatest thing and the worst thing for fantasy football. There's so much good information there and you get it quickly and there's some really good discussions. And then there's also the endless branding and there's, you know, I was first on this and let's, let's recall what I, what I said in March about this player and, and blah, blah, blah. And no, nobody's talking about Gabriel Davis when actually everybody is talking about Gabriel Davis. And <laughs> I, I, I feel like this offseason, and look, it was great, right? All this player movement and receivers changing teams, quarterbacks changing teams. It was an interesting draft. And a lot of really interesting coaches came into the league. We got some coaches out of the league that you know nobody was going to miss. But I'm just ready for games now. And I, it, now on one hand, we have, look, we have a full slate of preseason games. Unfortunately, most teams are getting smarter and smarter with their good players. So I don't know how much we're going to see the guys that we're going to be drafting the, the next couple of weeks. But... I'm just so ready to get these drafts going and to get the season going because I, I'm I'm sick of arguing over. Oh wait a minute, you're you're fading that guy. Did you see the video that team just posted of him running past somebody without wear, you know without pads on with a defender half trying with no pass rush? You didn't see that 25 yard catch he made. You get to move that guy up 15 slots. Yeah, I agree. I'm ready to see the answers to the test. That's for sure. I just think with with Traylon Burks, it's it's okay to be coming down somewhere on the middle here which is i would love to see that <laughs> Traylon burks not kyle phillips is like the team's starting slot receiver you know i'd love to see like i'd love for that gap to be very clear i don't think that that means he's going to be a bust even though i i thought in his pre-draft evaluation that he needed some development so this is not surprising necessarily um my immediate reaction is just not oh buy the dip buy the dip or whatever which is I don't even know what that means. I don't even know what that means anymore. Uh, But regardless, I'm still okay with drafting Traylon Burks in the late rounds. Just don't be surprised if this, if he does get off to a slow start this year, but I certainly do not think that he's absolutely buried. That does not seem to be the actual case uh, for what's going on in training. I think it's possible. Let me punctuate this with one thing. Tennessee is going to be one of my five least drafted into teams this year. They may even be the bottom of it. it, And it, it sounds weird because they were a number one seed last year, but no AJ Brown. I'm I'm concerned about Derrick Henry, which may come up later. Yeah, it uh, is. Ryan yep. Tannehill may be on the back nine. I, I would love it if Burks ends up being an impact player, but just because rookies can be impact players doesn't mean necessarily that we should expect it. And look, I know I mean he's got the pedigree and everything. He was obviously very productive last year in college, but this is a team I'm not in any way. There's no green light players on this team. There's no proactive picks for me on the 2022 Tennessee Titans. Perfect way to say it. There's maybe a couple yellow like. I think all these receivers can be yellow like guys, but the fact that Kyle Phillips is taking 
so many he's getting so much positivity you know in this type of passing offense Scott it's not as if like Traylon Burks and Robert Woods can afford a third guy that's commanding targets because they're not going to throw the ball very often so I think that's the key for all this report that I think Phillips is a guy to have on the radar and it might mess this up for the other players there last uh, piece of news here just real quick we can hit on Makai Becton likely out for the season with a knee injury I had a few folks ask if this moves me off Elijah Moore or Brees Hall or anything. I, I don't think it does because, number one, Becton missed all of last year. I think he was, you know, there, it was a bit of a murky offseason for him anyways, even though he did look like he showed up to training camp in good shape. And I feel really bad for him. But I do think there's a decent chance this team signs Dwayne Brown uh, potentially before this podcast is even published, which in that case I think would probably help their offensive line issues. Yeah, Becton, it's just a strange arc of his career. I mean, there's one point they thought this guy was going to be one of those pillars who just sets up shop for eight or ten years, goes to the Pro Bowl a bunch of times, and is a bookend tackle. He's had weight problems. He's had a position shift. He's had erratic play, and now he's got an injury. Nobody, We don't risk injury on anybody. But if you gave the Jets truth serum, they were just hoping Becton could be a quality starter and like yeah. their fourth or fifth best lineman. They no longer looked at him as the feature guy in their offensive line that they weren't playing him at left tackle anymore. So they were hoping that for the best with Becton, I don't think they expected, you know, they were just, you know, hope for the best, you know, but prepare for the worst and the worst of course he gets hurt, but I'm not gonna, I have an effect. It hasn't affected any of my rankings on the jets and I'm, I'm still going to draft priest hall. Yeah. I think proactively I'm still in on Elijah Moore, who I know we both like uh, no change for the jets offense for me at this time. Totally agree with that. Um, all right, let's move into your running back shuffle here, Scott. Well, why, don't, why don't you explain for the people out there, everybody should go to the website and read the article and check out um, all of Scott's thoughts and everything like that on this running back position. You do one for every single, posi every single position as well. So this whole week, I believe the series is going uh, live. Make sure you check all the pieces out. But I wanted to dive into the running back position with you to here today. So why don't you kind of explain the, the premise of the article and um, what everything that goes into it? Sure. Uh, it, it's basically my running back tiers. And, and I use, I put a dollar amount on every player. So I guess ostensibly it's, it's for a salary cap draft, but you can certainly use it if you're in a regular draft too. I'm just trying to show where the clumps of value are. And, you, you know, if, if I have a bunch of guys, you know, around the $30 value, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to go into a salary cap draft and, and bid 30 on them. I'm just saying that they're pretty much around the same type of value. And, you have to season it to taste. You know your league better than I do. You know, you, you may like Saquon Barkley better, more than I do or, or something like that. You may like um, Dalvin Cook less than I do. That's why we have a game. That's what fantasy is. But it's basically me trying to illustrate where the clumps of value are. And one thing that I did add this year, just a, a little tiny extra feature, is I was in an industry salary cap draft uh, or an auction draft, if you will, about a week ago. So I actually included those uh, final offers, uh, the winning offers in this article so you can see if you know you don't care for my numbers you want to see them actually in practice where they went in a 12-team super flex league you have that as well and I'll, and I'll tweak them of course just obviously all sorts of movement in the summer for fantasy we know running back is a very sensitive position because unlike other positions you know if a really good quarterback gets hurt and they have a bad backup you know that guy may not come into value but every time a running back gets hurt in the nfl a starting running back the next guy's important to us, you know, even on the worst team in the league, we would care if we can get that guy to, to double digit touches in the following week, we're going to want to bid on him or we're going to want to start him on a team or something like that. So uh, we, we all know running back, even as we've, we've entered the era of some people go zero RB, some people, you know, they just want to attack other positions. Other people still go robust RB. I'm more of a hero RB drafter. I like that one anchor away guy. And then I, I kind of start stocking my wide receiver room. But at the end of the day, it comes down to this map. If I could, if a genie would appear in front of me and say, look, I'll give you all the answers at one fantasy position. I know the final finish of everybody's point total and, and who's going to rank, you know, in the top 10, whatever. I'll give you all that. But just at one position, I, you'd have to pick the running backs. If you knew the running back answers before the test, you would dominate your league. You'd get all the right guys. So this is the one position and understanding this huge error bars here. A bunch of what I put out here is going to look silly in 10 <laughs> minutes, in 10 weeks, certainly at the end of the season. But if there's one position you want to really spend a lot of time on, no matter how you attack running back, whether you're taking them early, you're taking them in the middle, you're taking them late, doesn't matter. This is a position you need to spend the most time on and the position you hopefully want to run good at during the season. 
Yeah, and that's why I thought it would be important to go through uh, your some of your groups here. I, I look, I love any way of you know tiering, grouping players in in that fashion. So I thought it'd be good to just go through, and I I picked out a few guys in each. For the most part, we're kind of on the same page, but I wanted to go through and sort of pick out the guys uh, that stood out to me. And first of all, starting with your group number one, and there I love the names too. By the way, any sort of time you could do tiers and have like a creative name, I'm signing off on that. Uh, so first group here, the big tickets. You've got in. I'm I'm not going to read off the dollar amounts because that's not fun for a podcast. <laughs> in this group, we've got in order Jonathan Taylor, Christian McCaffrey, Austin Eckler, Dalvin Cook, Najee Harris, and Derrick Henry. First one that stood out to me is Dalvin Cook at number four uh, here because I've had Derrick Henry at RB4. I want to put, I think I want to put Dalvin Cook at that fourth spot. So, what what are the factors that have you kind of pushing Cook up a little bit over Harris and Henry? And I think also Najee Harris over Derrick Henry is pretty interesting, too, because I've seen, you know, some lukewarm takes on him throughout the industry, Najee Harris. But Dalvin Cook specifically, I don't think has gotten the same sort of industry boost or pub that like Justin Jefferson has from this new offense in Minnesota. Right. And that's certainly part of why I'm excited there. Um Finally, stubborn Mike Zimmer is out and they, they have a modern coach in O'Connell. And you would like to think, I, we don't know this for a fact, I'd like to think that maybe they'd be a little bit more up-tempo with their offense. They have a very narrow concentration of where the ball goes. I, I know we all want Irv Smith to be a thing. And it seems like every time we get excited about drafting him, he does something like break his thumb or whatever. He just, yeah. man, that guy just walks under ladders and has black cats cross his path. I don't know what's going on there. But I look at this team, I'm like, okay, they're going to get the ball to their three primary playmakers. Kirk Cousins is a plus quarterback. They've hired an offensive coach who we don't know who the next Sean McVay is. And we know that the odds of probably any coach working out are probably less than 50-50. But I think there's a chance that maybe the Vikings did hit a home run with their coach. If nothing else, they got out a stale coaching staff that needed to go. And also just part of Cook being above Henry is also just kind of my fade on Henry into an age 28 season running back windows often close far earlier. People just don't see it coming. You know, go back. If you keep old magazines, look at the guys in these covers, Todd Gurley and David Johnson. And um, you know, look at what's happened with McCaffrey and Barkley the last couple of years, although it's, it's too early to say that they're done, but Todd Gurley's not in the league anymore. David Johnson, I, I don't think is going to be relevant anymore in, in fantasy. You know, there were DeMarco Murray was, you know, offensive player of the year, one year, two years later, completely irrelevant. Freeman had had a career like that where he, he spiked and then, you know, he was out of the league before he was 20. Le'Veon Bell, right? It wasn't that long ago. He was great, held out for some reason, who knows why. And then he's completely irrelevant now. These windows slam shut so quickly. Henry into his age 28 season, doesn't catch the ball. And not that I think we, we agree that he probably could catch 50 passes. Yeah. I don't see why he couldn't. But the thing with Henry is that going with his workload back to high school, back to Alabama, obviously through Tennessee, He's always been a between the tackles designed to be hit and tackled by the heaviest guys in the defense. And if I ran the Titans, I'd try to get this guy. So he's tackled by the safeties. Good luck in the cornerbacks. You know, why not get him in space and not ask him to run through the team photo every time I Derek Henry's one of my favorite players. I would love to be wrong. I would be totally happy, Matt, as a football fan to have little Derrick Henry, to be underweight on Derrick Henry, and to have him smash the league, be Offensive Player of the Year, run for 2,000 yards. That'd be great because he's fun. And and just he does something. He has a running style that I don't think is unlike anybody else's in the NFL. Le'Veon Bell, by the way, had one too, where he yeah. would just do that little stop in the middle of action like he was pausing the game and say, oh, I'm going to run over here. <laughs> I miss that. Le'Veon Bell was a blast. Todd Gurley was a blast. You know, yeah. David Johnson, these are all my old friends, you know. Uh, so I'm, I'm nervous about drafting Derrick Henry. I want to try to skew a little bit younger. I know Cook is not exactly a spring chicken either, and he's had injury concerns as well. But I like the fact that he's more active as a receiver, and I want to believe that, that maybe they've hit a home run with the coaching change. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on the, all the positivity you said about Davin Cook. I think he'll be more efficient. He has historically been more efficient running out of 11 personnel, uh, you know, getting those boxes a little lighter than he has been banging up in the two tight end sets of Mike Zimmer's boomer offense. So I agree with you. That's good news. Derrick Henry, I, I'm with you, man. It's tough. Like, I, I love Derrick Henry. Uh, I've said he's one of my favorite NFL players. Uh, he's the nicest NFL player I've ever met. I love that he ha has never had any bad queso ever. Uh, shout out to the intro music. Um, Derrick Henry's the man. Want to totally be? I, I'm not. I'm not quite as down on Derrick Henry as some others are. 
But I do think that the Titans, like we said at the top, are a house of cards. And if anything happens to Derrick Henry, how are they not effed? Because that that's like their identity. I know that, that they ended up being Titans fans will come right back at you and be like, hey, we were the number one seed last year when Derrick Henry missed time. So what the hell are you talking about? It does still feel a little tenuous when you don't have A.J. Brown there. Are you really going to run back all that, uh, you know, good breaks from last year? It's difficult to imagine that. But I, I don't want to be all the way out on Derrick Henry. But I hear your point there, man. It's when it happens at the running back position, it happens when you aren't totally expecting it and if it does happen for derrick henry that fall off you can't say that the warning signs weren't there i'm i'm making a guarantee right here and you can throw this in my face if it's wrong i'm going to guarantee the indianapolis colts win this division in fact i i think i'm not going to guarantee this but i think it's very likely they win it before the season like you know more than one game in front of this in front of the end of the season like their last week is just some some kind of dress rehearsal where they're not, you know, Matt Ryan takes a couple of snaps and heads to the bench. Jonathan Taylor doesn't even dress that day. Michael Pittman maybe, you know, does a, a couple of routes and, and sits for the rest of the day. America's, is there, by the way, have you found anybody who doesn't like Michael Pittman this year? I mean, I, not that it's, no, not that everybody yeah. agrees on something means it can't be wrong. Cause somebody, if he has a bad year or gets hurt, somebody will be like, well, too many people liked Michael Pittman. We jinxed him, blah, blah, blah. But <laughs> um, man, America's, I didn't want to call him a sleeper because he was good last year, but um, his ADP continues to rise. But the Colts are going to win this division, and they're going to win it by two or three games. Well, I hear you on that prediction, Scott, and I'll raise you another prediction. I bet that you, in sometime during week one, when Michael Pittman has 100 yards and a touchdown, I guarantee we see at Scott <laughs> underscore Pienowski tweet out, you know who liked Michael Pittman? Everyone. Everybody. When, when, <laughs> when everybody's trying to victory lap Michael Pittman. Um, and yeah, we are be a very crowded people. victory lap. We'll, we'll, yes. we'll, it's like the, the, the beginning of a marathon, right? Where there's yeah. like no running room, no running space whatsoever. I hear, yeah, talk yeah. about running through the whole team photo. Uh, yeah, we'll we'll do our full Colts preview in a minute uh, here later on. Well, not in a minute, but later on in the show. All right, let's move on to the next group here, and that's legitimate building blocks. Uh, this will probably be the last group I read off in full, but starting here with Aaron Jones, Nick Chubb, Joe Mixon, DeAndre Swift, Saquon Barkley, Leonard Fournette, Travis Etienne, Javante Williams, Ezekiel Elliott, Alvin Kamara, Brees Hall, and James Conner. This is a good group to dive into, starting with Aaron Jones. Andy and I just talked about him in the last podcast, so I won't go over my thoughts on him again, but can you make a legitimate argument that it maybe takes just one or two breaks to have him in the next tier up, which is the big tickets, because I do have him ranked there. I'm glad to hear that because I think I've been calling Aaron Jones all summer a perfect second round pick where no matter how you start, if you got a running back, you can start robust running back and then you start pounding the receivers. I started one of the industry drafts, a bunch of different industry drafts started this week. And, and one of those teams, I can't remember which one I started Jamar Chase and Aaron Jones. And I just love, I love that. Oh, I got my, I, I got two players who I'm really targeting and Jones. I mean, the the benefactors, or, or I'm sorry, the beneficiaries, I should say. I don't want to misuse that word. Benefactor benefactor gives a benefit. A beneficiary receives a benefit. There you go. Go, go ACSAT test. The <laughs> beneficiaries of this new design of this Packers offense, well, we don't know. Oh, look, I mean, maybe Dubs is, Dubs is a great player, however you say it. I, you know, maybe Alan Dobbs, Lazar takes I, a step forward. I think forward. it's Dobbs. Dobbs, okay. I should know that. I, I do this for a living. Yeah. Maybe you know, somebody steps up. Maybe maybe Lazard's ready to to go. You know, seventy two, a thousand and seven. I don't know. But what Green Bay does now is that they have two really good running backs who complement each other, and they they kind of do different things. Not not that you can't throw the ball to Dylan because you can sometimes. But Jones is going to catch a bunch of passes. And when both these guys were healthy last year, I realized there were games when they both played, but one of them was dinged up. And I've been actually pointing to the playoff game where Jones got most of the work and, and Dylan didn't play as much. Dylan did get hurt in that game. So uh, maybe that's a little bit of a skewed example that I, sh I should back off of. But they know that their bread is buttered through. It's weird. It's just so weird to say with the Packers because they have the two-time MVP, the reigning two-time MVP. I guess he's won it three times overall. And Aaron Rodgers, who I want no part of drafting. I'm kind of tiptoeing around their receiver room. But I'm drafting into Jones proactively. And I actually... I'm not against Dylan either. I, I would prefer not to have them on the same roster, but I have some Dylan shares. But I, I think Jones has a very safe floor for volume. He's going to catch a ton of passes. I think he, he even has a chance maybe to lead this team in receptions. 
And he's got a fair amount of touchdown equity, even if they use Dylan as a banger and a short yardage guy. I, again, I'll, I'll make it really simple for you. He's a perfect second round pick. I don't care what you started with, but especially if you started Jefferson or Chase or Adams or whoever your you know receiver du jour is in the first round. I love coming back with Aaron Jones, who I think is a legitimate running back one. And as you said, there's a, is there a case for him to be in that first tier? I think there is. I, For all I know, I, I could easily, not only could I, have, could I bump him up a little bit anyway, I just could have put Jones in that tier and just decided this tier started with Nick Chubb. I mean, I, I could have done that as well. Yeah, I, that's kind of how I feel about it, and I love to hear that you echo the – anytime you can take Aaron Jones in the second round, like take it to the bank, man. I feel really, really good about that. Um, the first guy in the sub-$30 group that you have here is Saquon Barkley, and to me, he feels like the biggest steal of this group potentially – Edwin Porras from Fantasy Points does a uh, injury-prone league uh, that I'm in. Dalton Del Don is also in it. Dalton took <laughs> Saquon Barkley two picks before Edwin, and Edwin is obviously he's an injury guy, and he's very, very in on Saquon Barkley getting back to form and not having no injury concerns whatsoever. Dalton took him like two picks before uh, Edwin, and and I believe Edwin is still tilting his face off about it. Uh, so it's pretty it's pretty funny to see, and it's good. I feel confident that Edwin feels really good about Saquon. I do you agree? I feel like he could be the biggest steal of this group. Yeah, I, I have him. I have Barkley slotted in an area where if you were to, and not that anybody should draft strictly by anybody's rankings or tiers, you have to season them to taste and move them around to how you feel. But if you were to do that off my board, you're you're not going to get Barkley. And I understand that he could, he's a guy who could beat me. He, he's a difficult player to analyze. He's had injury problems for three straight years. His efficiency has been horrible for the last two years. But coming off that major injury into last season, it was to be expected that the, maybe the burst would be missing. Man, man, he looks sluggish. I mean, he he played very yeah. poorly last year. But that's that's all backwards, you know, backward looking. Now he's healthier. Now the line presumably is better. And along with Jacksonville, and I, and I feel like I say this on every podcast, but along with Jacksonville, the Giants were the one team that just absolutely needed to clean house with their coaching staff. They needed yeah. – I, I know Garrett get, get let go before the season ended, and you know Joe Judge was just miscast as a head coach and just some of the things. You know, kneeling on third third down in, in inside your own territory, just taking a knee and then punting. I, I don't know. Joe Judge had some goofy ideas, and I don't think he's going to be a head coach again. Uh, although it's, it's interesting that you know Bill, Bill Belichick's doing his uh, – his rehabilitation program with you know, oh, hiring yeah. Patricia and hiring we'll Joe Judge. <laughs> and it's kind of like you see that a lot at Alabama where Nick Saban's like, okay, who's who's the smart offensive guy who needs to fix his rep? Oh, Steve Sarkeesian? Come on in. Lane Kiffin? Come on in. We'll we'll let you run my conveyor belt for a while and then and then you'll go uh you'll get a head coaching job somewhere else. But so I see the case for Barkley. And I also understand, and we talked a little bit about this on the Sunday night, Monday morning show. We're not we're not good at predicting who's going to get hurt or, you know, we're, we're, we're smarter collectively, but this idea that you can look and say, okay, well, Barkley's been hurt the last three years. So he's, you know, put him down for 11 games. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. Now, nor, nor am I of the camp of, Oh, here's Barkley with a nice running camp. I'm, I'm going to take him because I, I just saw him run over one of their cornerbacks. I, that doesn't really move it for me either. I'll just throw up my hands here, Matt, and say, I don't really know what to do with Barkley. I, I'm, I'm a little bit, spooked by just how quickly some running backs can lose it, that it has me nervous. And I, and even as I talk myself into maybe Brian Dable can fix Daniel Jones and, you know, I'm starting to draft into Kadarius Tony proactively and stuff like that. This still looks like a team that's going to win six games to me. And we know running back production is tied to winning teams. Now the thing with Barkley is, you know, what was going to catch passes. He actually hasn't been a very efficient pass. He's been a very active pass catcher for the last couple of years, but he hasn't been very efficient in that role. So I'm I'm a half a half tier lower than Barkley than most people, and I would just like a running back, either a first round running back who I feel really great about, or if I'm taking a running back in the second round, to me that that's a a Joe Mixon, that's a Nick Chubb, that's certainly we talked about Aaron Jones being a perfect second round pick. Those are all guys I would take ahead of Barkley. I don't think Barkley will get to the third round in most leagues, so probably sitting this one out, but mindful of it that you know he's only entering his age 25 season. So Saquon Barkley could definitely beat me this year. Yeah, because the archetype of player that he and I do agree with you that it's sort of been in theory. He hasn't quite ever been great rusher plus great receiver as he was kind of billed to be coming out of college. I mean, you can even still say that as a runner, he's been more boom bust. That's that's who he was as a college prospect, too. 
the pass catching efficiency hasn't been there, but because he does theoretically still have that archetype of player, you can't be surprised if he's a top five running back. I think you also can't be surprised if, if he stays healthy, that he's running back, you know, 14 ish or something because he's slogging in a offense. That's structured better with Brian Dayball, but it's still quarterback by a bad quarterback. And you know, it's, they're trying to figure it out. Like I think the range of outcomes is still pretty wide with Saquon Barkley, even if he does play. And of course, if he gets hurt again, I mean, it is what it is. So um, let's move on to another guy that I think is could obviously be a steal. You have Alvin Kamara here at 23 bucks. He's behind a decent bit of guys. If he's not suspended, where is his value at? Does he shoot up to kind of that 30 plus range or do you have concerns there as well? Before, before we get to Kamara, I just want to really super quick. Uh, Leonard Fournette, better shape up because I need a running back and my heart is set on you. <laughs> R RIP Libby Newton John. Okay. Alvin Kamar. I, I want to be clear that my tiering of him, my ranking of him is predicated on there being an extremely low to almost zero chance of him being suspended this year. It sounds like the flow of that story is that if he's going to have suspension, it's not going to be this season. So yeah. at one point, I would have said, and I'm still fading Kamara and I still have my reasons, but the, I no longer can use the suspension as a significant reason for that. Cause I just don't think it's going to happen this year. I think they're going to push it away. And if he does have a suspension, it will be in the future, but not this season. So that this, some people may say where, see where he's at and be like, Oh, you're all, it's all suspension fear. No, it's not. To me, it's quarterback fear. It's head coach fear. Breeze left last year. Um, Peyton leaves this year where Kamara's at in the arc of his career. They've even said they don't think he's going to catch 80-plus balls anymore. Those days are probably gone. And although a lot of Kamara catches are designed plays, it, you know, it's a screen, you, know, you, you let the rush come in, you, you, the play has a certain flow to it, you, you drop it off to him. He would also catch plays in uh, a play would break down and, and Breeze could just bail out to Kamara. I just don't think Winston's really adept at that type of thing. I, I think he has trouble with touch passes. He's never really been active with throwing to running backs. So I'm just worried that Kamara is going to go to 55 catches, 60 catches at most. Um, he'll be a good receiver. But and then last year, his efficiency really cratered. And this is by far the worst New Orleans offensive line that he's run behind. I, this is a, a unit that usually was an automatic top five offensive line that just doesn't exist anymore. I, I think you'd have to be an optimist to call it an average offensive line. I think it's a little bit below average right now. So I see a player. I don't like where he is with his arc. I don't think he's a great fit for his quarterback. The team has already admitted that the thing he does best, he's probably going to do less of this year. And he's got the offensive line is really important. And that offensive line is just looks bad right now. I, the Saints have, still have a decent defense, but I don't think they're anything special as a team either. Alvin Kamara is probably the best player in football that I can forget quarterbacks because, you know, fading a quarterback doesn't matter. because there's 8 million other, other guys. We're just talking receivers and, and running backs. And you say, well, who's the best player you're pretty confident you're not going to draft this year? I would say it's Alvin Kamara. Yeah, no, that that's a good, good case because I had been, pretty willing like all right the suspension likely not going to happen i'm not going to boost him up to previous top five status that he used to be in but i would i was still thinking maybe back end rb1 but you make a lot of really good points that his outlook has changed and the entire infrastructure of the saints has, has changed i mean you usually don't have elite level quarterback even though breeze was obviously declining but elite level quarterback and elite level head coach depart the team so fast and in, in can you think that the like with the Patriots that Belichick is still around so it's a lot of change in New Orleans I think that's got to come into a factor with a lot of your rankings all right two guys you've got between Saquon Barkley and Alvin Kamara who we just mentioned 24 bucks Travis Etienne 24 bucks Javante Williams that's closer I think than most ADPs would have it I think that's closer than most rankings would have it Travis Etienne, both these guys have a little bit of news that has just hit recently. With Travis Etienne, Sports Illustrated's John Shipley reports that James Washington on Monday took first team reps, uh, described Shipley, my good, my good buddy John Shipley, described it as an important and noticeable step for Robinson. That doesn't mean he's the starter over Etienne, but it does probably mean he's at least going to be involved in the game plan early on in the year. I still think Etienne has pretty massive upside with Javante Williams. Broncos offensive coordinator Justin Otten said that Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon will be on, quote, a pitch count throughout the season. So 
These two backs, you've got them kind of closer here, and it seems like, at least to me, interpreting your um, your rankings, your groupings, your tiers here, you're pretty excited about Travis Etienne either way. I am, although I, I do think James Robinson is a good player. Obviously, they're both coming off major injuries. The advantage Etienne has is his injury was last summer, so he's had a full season to get right, where Robinson's was late in the year. So the, the, this, the timetable hasn't isn't as far along, even though he is making good progress. And it's important to remember, in today's committee-dominated NFL, two backs is no big deal. The problem is when teams go to three, for fantasy anyways, when teams go to three backs and they all have roles, projectable roles into a game, and then you know so much is, is just unknowable, you know, the flow of the game or who makes the first mistake and gets you know mothballed or gets thrown in the doghouse <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. So it's it's weird to say, well, it's comforting that Jacksonville only has two, I mean, whatever, maybe Snoop Connor is, is going to be a great player someday. I'm, I'm not holding my breath for that happening this year. But for all, for effectively, they have two running backs we have to think about. So I think that helps ETN, has the familiarity with Trevor Lawrence. They obviously played college ball together, has the pedigree. He was a first round pick where um, I think he's an early second round pick. I forget. I think he went in the first round, right? Where obviously Robinson was undrafted. So I want to be proactive to him. And the thing with Williams that's so tricky is that I think he is a huge, huge, huge. I think he could be like a top three or four pick next year if he just got the, the chance to be the bell cow there. But Melvin Gordon was good last year. Yeah, A guy who all, all this talk I say about career running back arcs and you know, worry about guys in their late 20s and everything. Melvin Gordon was better than I think a lot of people wanted to admit I, to the point that I don't think Williams ever really made a push for that job or made a case where they should have put Gordon in a secondary role. I think they were both about even last year by efficiency metrics. So new coaching staff, I think they're both going to play again. At least we can feel good about there's not a third running back. who's pushing into the mix here, but Williams, the thing with him is that I can see it. I can see a scenario where if, for whatever reason, Gordon, you know, started to play poorly or he made a mistake that the, the team soured on him or he got hurt, which is, of course, always the, the most easiest explanation. If Williams ever got to the point where he was getting 16 plus touches every week, it's like, here we go, man. I mean, oh, he'd be yeah. a top five running back on my board every week. I, I especially in a Russell Wilson offense, I think they're going to score a ton of points. I think the Broncos are going to be a lot of fun this year. Also, by the way, draft the Broncos defense. If you're somebody who does draft defenses, I know a lot of people won't do it. And that's fine if you don't. They open with Seattle and Houston. You can drop them week three if you want to. That is what you do, man. You you, you gang up on the first two matchups. So it's great, great. They're gonna beat. They've already beaten Seattle thirty-seven to six in my mind. I, I've already seen the future, <laughs> and I know what that is. So, I, man, I don't know, man. Williams. I I've taken him as early as second round in some earlier drafts. I I think that's maybe too optimistic now. But if I can get Williams in the third round, I feel great about it. Etn's the same thing. I I'm not so proactive that I'd second round these guys. But I think in the third round, depending on what your roster build looks like at that point, they make a lot of sense. It basically just seems as if, if you use Scott's rankings here, you're going to get a decent bit of Travis Etienne considering where he goes, and you'll maybe get a little bit of Javante Williams. But I basically agree with everything you said about Williams. It is, you don't have to stretch much to see the upside. Just go watch that chiefs game from last year. When, by the way, the Broncos offense and Teddy Bridgewater was miserable to watch but Javante Williams was awesome because Melvin Gordon didn't play unfortunately Melvin Gordon's back so that scenario doesn't really exist this year um, all right we're going to move on to the next group uh, that Scott has here in his running back shuffle right after this break searching for NBA playoff coverage we've got you the old man and the three presented by BMW gives you an inside look into the world of sports Hosted by former NBA sharpshooter and Duke legend J.J. Redick and sports writer Tommy Alter, The Old Man and the Three offers unprecedented access to the league. Tommy and J.J. discuss the NBA and interview some of the biggest names in the league, like Devin Booker and Luka Doncic. NBA final season is the perfect time to dive in, and you can listen to The Old Man and the Three wherever you get your podcasts. To hear episodes brought to you by BMW. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard. BMW, the ultimate driving machine. All right, this group is fun because it's sort of the, quote, running back dead zone that people talk about in the industry. I love your title for them, Scott. It's talk them up, talk them down. It basically feels like you could see it either way with these guys. And starting off here with your highest ranked guy, Elijah Mitchell. 19 bucks, you've got him here. Other than health and committee spooks, which, by the way, those ain't nothing. Those are you know legit things to worry about. 
What keeps him from uh, being a high-end RB2 this year and at least belonging sort of in that $23, $24 group you got here? It's a few things. Certainly the committee plays into it. Um, they added, or I shouldn't say they added, but they promoted a running quarterback, so he's going to take something off the table. And also whenever a player, Elijah Mitchell's a good football player. I, I don't want to ding him, but the fact that he came out of nowhere and had no real draft pedigree a lot of times those guys just the, the pixie just just wears off and they don't yeah. end up you know being having sustainability into the following season and i don't think he, i don't think Shanahan is the type of guy who's going to whoever his starter is on opening day if he feels like somebody is running better later in that in that game or no nobody's got a guaranteed long-term leash here I, you know he's he's not going to play to i mean last year they traded up for Trey Sermon and had high hopes for Trey Sermon and they changed their mind on Sermon, didn't even dress him on opening day. You know, that that's the way they do things. You don't have to tell um, me twice, pal. Right. Of course. Of course. So um I I feel like, man, if I if I knew, if I knew, if I had like a 49er insider and he was like, hey, look, they promised Elijah Mitchell he's the guy. It's it's his job to lose. He'd have to really screw up to lose double digit touches every week. Then man, I I would immediately put shoot him into the middle of the next tier that's how much i like him as a player but i just feel like it's too easy to tell myself a story where it's three or four weeks into the season and our timeline is littered with what the heck do i do with elijah mitchell i drafted him as a starter and i feel like i can't play him right now yep i agree that that certain nightmare scenario does exist i feel like shanahan likes elijah mitchell a lot but he's liked a lot of other guys in the past before too. So I, I can see the negativity there, even though I've sort of come down more positive on Elijah Mitchell. It is funny that the, the um, great account, 32 team beat writers, which everybody should follow on, on Twitter, especially this time of year, they were tweeting out like the, I think an article, you know, showing the, the pecking order for the running backs in San Francisco or whatever. And, um, you know, how hatred, yeah, you know, you said you wouldn't talk about Trey Sermon uh, before we started the podcast, but you know, that Trey Sermon was, the RB three or whatever. And then he followed that up with, uh, or they followed that up with last year, this time last year, Trey Sermon was running back. Like he was the clear cut RB two and was getting a lot of positive views from camp. But then there was a week before the regular season where the 49ers have a closed practice to media. And I didn't know this until I read him. I read them say this, that there's a closed week of practice where the media doesn't see the 49ers. And it was in that week that for somehow, some way, Elijah Mitchell rocketed up and Trey Sermon rocketed down. So, again, that's just what you're dealing with here uh, with the whole 49ers backfield. If I were Sermon, I would change my name to Deuce Sermon. You know, the problem with Trey Sermon is it makes it too easy for him to be running back three or lower in the depth chart. You need to change your name, Trey. Did you see uh, Brandon? I know we're not talking about Brandon Ayuk, but we got to bring Brandon Ayuk up on every podcast. Did you see the quote that he had about the rookie receiver, Danny Gray? Um, and he said, yeah, it's nice to have another receiver around so Kyle can leave me the hell alone. Basically, I thought that was pretty <laughs> funny. <laughs> Just like insight to who Kyle Shanahan is a coach. It's good stuff. How much? Um, I, I got to ask you since you brought him up. How much Ayuk have you drafted into so far? As much as I can, man. I, I And I know he's getting steamed up a lot right now. And I think. This it's a constant debate I have with myself. Do if I'm steaming Ayuk up, do I need to move Debo Samuel down or adjust Debo Samuel somehow or George Kittle? And I think that's it's a thing. I'm honestly it's a thing I'm kind of working out. I'm not a hundred percent sure how I feel about that at this point. But so far, you know, when Ayuk has been sub wide receiver or you know after wide receiver thirty five, wide receiver thirty five to 40 i've been drafting him everywhere i can i'm very excited obviously love the guy yeah i'm i'm overweight too the problem is that i think in the second half of august it's just he's become so trendy that he he's jump it feels like he's jumping around every week so you're gonna you're gonna have to elbow out people where in the past it was kind of like oh okay here's it's like a library book that nobody wanted you know they're they're trying to get rid of old books oh here you want this here it's a quarter you know now it's yeah now it's you actually have to go into the bookstore and, and pay, pay the retail price I will say this, though, that is certainly true of all the, you know, and I say this with love every time I say this, the the non-normal folks who have been drafting up until this point, where if you're drafting on, you know, certain platforms, Ayuk is going to get rocketed up to like the sixth round or something like that. The folks who are going to draft, you know, in quote unquote, more casual leagues or home leagues or whatever in a couple of weeks. Those folks are not going to touch Brandon Ayuk because their feelings are still hurt. And that's just the way fantasy For works. Sure. So you, I think he will be a very 
platform sensitive player or league format player uh it will brandon Ayuk be yeah if you're in a more casual league where they're likely to mispronounce his name or something you know um yeah you can probably still name your price on Ayuk. there you go all right another group of running backs i want to bring up in this uh cluster here damian harris 14 dollars Ramondre stevenson eight dollars I, I've still been drafting both of these guys. Uh, Stevenson has certainly been steamed up a little bit to the point where I think some of the upside in his range of outcomes is kind of baked into where he goes in drafts. But Scott, you, you mentioned Joe Judge earlier and sort of, I love how you described Bill Belichick as like doing the Nick Saban coach rehab uh, thing because there is a lot of connective tissue between Nick Saban and Bill Belichick and all that. So that actually, I hadn't thought about that. And when you said it, it lit a light bulb in my head. The Patriots offensive camp reports have been brutal. I mean, just especially the offensive line stuff where Matt Patricia, but you know, is the offensive line coach, even if they won't call him the offensive coordinator, they have at least given him, you know, assistant football advisor slash whatever The, the, the Patriots are weird with these offensive title things going on, but those reports have been brutal. And typically I wouldn't buy all the way in on that, but I mean, my God, they don't have a real offensive coordinator, so it does at least like confirm your priors if you thought this would be a disaster. I still like, and at the the dollar values you have them here, Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson, fourteen and eight. I like that. I like where they go in drafts, but it does at least make me a little nervous to how negative the, the the buzz has been around the Patriots all August. To be fair, and, and I know I'm just comparing it against one salary cap draft, but I, I have Harris at fourteen. He did go for $17 in that Vegas uh, Superflex League. I have $8 in Stevenson. I think he was a $10 player in that league. So, I, again, I'm comparing it to one league. But I think that might reflect that I'm just eyelash under market on, on this team. I just don't think the Patriots have a lot of offensive upside. I think their upside, their ceiling is, okay, at league average offense, maybe slightly above average. With Harris, he's not going to catch a lot of passes. A ton of touchdown deodorant last year, and I still think he's a good bet to score eight, nine, ten touchdowns. I don't think he'll get to 15 again or whatever it was last year. But offensive line doesn't look as good. Mac Jones is he's just an average player, man. I, he's never – I don't think he was a bad pick. It's, it's one of those questions where are you better off to have a solid starter quarterback who's never a superstar, or do you just need to accept, okay, that's not good enough, don't sign him to the second contract, and swing for the fences with the next quarterback? I – he could be a purgatory quarterback for this team. And the Patriots could be, for the next four or five years, it could be, okay, let's hope we go 10-7 and seven and lose in the first round of the playoffs. That that might be who this team becomes for a few years, and it just seems strange to say that because of what they the last two decades went by. But also, look, no team wants to give you the, the keys to the kingdom and tell you what they're going to do and what the usage is going to be and what the first 15 plays are going to be. But this is the team that guards against that. It's New England. Yeah. They, they don't. I mean, you're lucky that Belichick will confirm that there's a game at one o'clock Eastern on Sunday and they're playing Miami. (laughs) He just didn't want to tell you anything. So, and that doesn't make him unique in the league. It's just, they are as far in that direction as you can be. Long story short, I, I would take Harrison Stevenson if they start to slip, you know, a half round around below what their ADP is, but I'm I'm not, they're not proactive picks for me. I just, this is a team I'm not going to draft into aggressively. And also, a problem. I know we're talking running backs, but a problem with the receivers is they all kind of clump together. I know they do different things well, but you can probably make a case for three or four different guys leading this team in receiving yards or touchdown catches. Even if you, you throw Hunter Henry in the mix for the touchdowns, he won't have yards, but it's a big old mess. The Patriots are going to have, I, I always talk about how I love narrow distribution. This is going to be a very wide distribution team and a wide distribution team that's going to like be like the 16th best offense in the NFL. You don't want to draft proactively into the Patriots. Yeah, I've I've gone back and forth on my Patriots projections, just kind of wondering what sort of offense they could be. But you make a very convincing argument to to not be too in on these players. I mean, the running backs are really the only ones you have to draft at a reasonably high uh, ADP. The receivers, like you said, in a best ball format, you can kind of take them between 50, 60 and, and you know, you'll get some weeks out of these guys because they do all play unique roles. But, yeah, I'm with you, man. It's it's just a tough offense to file the way into. Last, and, and you mentioned oh, the best ahead. ball, the best ball tint to those receivers. This is a good example of what makes a player worthy and best. Like I would take Kendrick Bourne or Devon, you know, Parker or whatever, Jacobs. Best ball, fine. I'll get the games they get in managed leagues you need to call this you need to see the Kendrick Bourne you know five for 87 and two game coming and I don't know how you're ever going to be able to do that 
Totally agree with you there. All right, let's talk one more guy in this group before I let you kind of pick some of your favorites in the plausible upside group. Tony Pollard at eight. I I don't know, man. I, I've been buying into the standalone value argument with Tony Pollard, and I'm not a big Tony Pollard guy. Um, like, I've not been one of these, he's definitely better than Zeke. And I think that that's sort of a, a it's not a wild opinion, but I think it's a little misguided given the, the way these guys have been used and some of the efficiency metrics that, you know, Pollard shines in. But I think they're going to kind of need him this year because of the state of their pass catching depth chart. You know, it's basically CeeDee Lamb, Jalen Tolbert, Dalton Schultz, and nothing else going on there. Pollard was a pretty interesting receiver for them last year. I sort of buy into I heard uh, I think I heard JJ Zacharyson or saw him make this argument on Twitter that Pollard could be like sort of a Austin Eckler to Melvin Gordon back at, you know Zeke Elliott is the Melvin Gordon Tony Pollard is the Austin Eckler when those two guys like were, Eckler was first breaking onto the scene I could I can squint at that and see it for for Tony Pollard and we obviously know he has top 10 top 12 running back upside if Zeke Elliott ever get, does get hurt. So I don't know. I've, I've really come around on Tony Pollard and I would probably have him ranked a lot higher than you do here. But um, what's sort of the, de- the downside case for Pollard? Man, this, this one hurts me because I want to be very clear on this. I love Tony Pollard. I think he's fantastic. If tomorrow Zeke retired or, you know, God forbid had some major injury was out for the season. I would make a, everybody would do this, but I would make it not only would I make a gigantic move up with Pollard, but I would make it a point that I have to have on one of my primary teams. I have to have Tony Pollard on my team. I'll, I'll elbow people out of the room. I'll, you know, go, I'll shoot up the moon with my offers in a salary cap draft, whatever it is. Um, and remember you know, back in college and, and this was the thing with Gibson too. I mean, Pollard 139 career rushes at Memphis, 104 catches, you know, I mean, he was, not a traditional running back. He, he has the skills to be all the stuff that you were talking about and the stuff that JJ was talking about, about how they could make him an Eckler in this offense. That's all doable. The reason I have Pollard so low is I don't trust the Cowboys. I think mm, they're going to fair. play to Zeke's contract <laughs> and then 90 million or whatever he's guaranteed and everything. And, and Zeke's a guy, and we didn't talk about Zeke. And I guess maybe you, you skipped Zeke because you knew we'd talk to Pollard and we'd get, you know, kind of ancillary talk about Zeke. Man, there's a guy I'm not drafting. There's a guy who is just, he's too, it's too deep in the story, too late in the career arc. And if he has a fantasy viable season, it's going to be just lifted up. He's going to be lifted on the shoulders of the Cowboys who stubbornly refuse to admit that their best running back is Tony Pollard. Now, if this team were coached by a staff, a, a, you know, a, a head coach and a, an offensive room where I'm like, oh, these guys are really creative. They're going to find a way to play both these running backs. I'd love that. If they could find a specialty role for Pollard, and, and I'm not saying it can't happen. It's just I look at who's in charge of this team, and I'm just, I've been burned by the Cowboys hoping they would do something creative, something proactive, something maybe a little bit out of the box. They just don't strike me as that type of team. They strike me as, oh, yeah, Zeke's the guy we paid. Zeke's the – I still think they think Zeke might be the most important guy in their offense, which is crazy. I mean, it's obviously Dak Prescott. Like any – just about any team, it's their quarterback, you know, and they still think Zeke is, is the signature player there. I mean, and I don't want to come down too hard on Zeke. He's had a great career. It's just running back windows don't last that long. So why is Pollard so low on my list? I don't trust the Cowboys, and I think Zeke's contract and Cowboys' stubbornness is going to lead to and, – and this, we're going to ring over this all – all during the season, it's, it's already happened, but it's going to happen during the season. It's going to be like, okay, here, here, you know, Zeke got 21 touches last week. Pollard got seven, and you know, here's their efficiency over the season, and here's the tape, and and here's the broken tackle stat, and and here's all these other elusiveness ratings. It all points to Pollard, and on game day, it's all Zeke. Hey, I mean, that is certainly well within the range of outcomes when it comes to the Dallas Cowboys. That is certainly possible. All right, Scott, let's, let's do our Colts team preview. Um, unless there's any other plausible upside running backs, you, you definitely want to plant a flag in. Uh, we can move on to the Colts. I'm going to do this super quick so we can get to the Colts uh, of the guys who were in the plausible upside group who are in the next tier below. I'm going to draft proactively into Kenneth Gainwell. And then I've, nice. I've really come down on miles Sanders. I look, I know he's due some, correction to his touchdown count. I'm just afraid that's going to be like three to five touchdowns because I think game will can really play. Hertz is always going to be a mouth to feed too. I've drafted a lot of Daryl Henderson. Um, if you'll give me quarter Patterson at a giveaway price, even though I'm not super high on him, I mean, I got him for $2 in that Vegas draft. I'll take him. And I think Naheem Hines is going to catch 55 passes. I think he's been underrepted in most leagues. 
I also like Tyler Algier as well. Naheem Hines, good transition to the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, Kenneth Gainwell, Naheem Hines. Remember the Colts. Very, very, very similar um, kind of a potential usage there. There's a coaching staff connective tissue as well with Nick Sirianni. With the Indianapolis Colts, we didn't save a lot of time for them. And frankly, I think they're a super simple team because there's two players we all want to draft. Like we said at the top, everybody loves Michael Pittman. I love Michael Pittman. Big, big Michael Pittman fan. Think he's like a kind of a misunderstood player. I think he's like a cross between Keenan Allen and Allen Robinson. <laughs> Sounds like two pretty good players to be a cross of. We're we're green lighting Michael Pittman. I think sure. this year we can say that. we're obviously green lighting Jonathan Taylor as a one or two pick. We, we talked about this. He's he's our first overall pick. Me and Scott. So beyond that, what are the questions about the Colts? I mean, I guess it's how sure of an, how sure are we that Matt Ryan is a big upgrade over Carson Wentz? The Colts are really really sure about it. I'll say that at least. I'm sure about it too. Uh, everything every, everything you see. And, and not just like the back of the football card stats, but like specialty efficiency stats of against certain packages or, you know, in, in pressure, in the pocket, out of the pocket. It feels like Ryan's better than everything that Wentz. It, the funny thing is Wentz actually didn't have his back of the football card stats. Weren't that bad last year. I think yeah. that reflects a lot of interceptions were dropped. And a lot of times if you were, especially if you were a Pittman manager, they'd show like a lot of times you don't see this on the first run. On, on a football game, but then Chris Collinsworth would be like, oh, you know, Michael Pittman was open for a touchdown and Wentz just didn't see him in time. Yeah. This, this ball's like three seconds <laughs> so late, you know? I feel like that was that happened like 20 times last year. Maybe it wasn't quite that many times, but it really stings when you see a game where it's like Michael Pittman was open the whole game and he ended the day with three catches for 51 yards when it could have been like triple that. So good move for Matt Ryan, man. Because look, Matt Ryan's on the back nine of his career. I'm, I'm not trying to make up Matt Ryan to be a pro bowler or, or you know, or a MVP or anything, but he's better than Carson Wentz. And he goes to a team where I believe in the coaching, a team where I believe in the offensive line, a team where I believe in the defense, a team that is, although divisional games are only six games, man, what a great division to be in. Rebe- rebuilding Jaguars, rebuilding Texans, and a Titans team that's just set for all sorts of regression to hit hard. I don't think they're going to be a playoff team this year. So it's, it's, it's all systems go for the Colts to the point that Ryan... In a standard league, you're not going to draft him, but I'd, I'd feel great about him in a super flex league as my second quarterback. Is he an upgrade over Carson Wentz? I think 1,000%. I, I don't know the person who's arguing against that. I think we're all going to be in a universal agreement on that. I would love to know the Washington Commanders' thoughts on is Matt Ryan better than Carson Wentz? They've they've been um, consistent. Like They had to put out the, we're not concerned about Carson Wentz's hideous inaccuracy in training camp uh you know statement to, and to be fair they they may have upgraded too because their quarterback room has oh, been they so definitely the last did. few years yeah so no i mean they're they're hoping they're if you're a terry mclaurin backer and i think we you and i are both mclaurin guys i'd like to tell myself a story that carson wentz makes that sad song a little less sad i'm not gonna say he makes it better but just a little less sad that's all that's all i'm looking for in washington this year matt is a little less sadness is that too much to ask I mean, that's there's nowhere to go it up, really, in terms of the sadness with the uh, Washington Commanders. And, you know, and again, sorry to my guy, ODU's finest, Taylor Heineke. But uh, I hate yeah. the name, too. I hate the name. Man. I liked football team. I would have stuck with football team for about 10 oh, years, yeah. at least. I mean, football team is just like, hey, we're weird. We're, the problem is they're not like they're not lovable losers. That's the problem. Because but, the, plus, if any so team deserved to be WFT, it's it's the Washington football team. I mean, man, because that whole organization is, you know you switch the letters around and you get what the Washington football team has been for way too long. Yeah, you ain't wrong about that. And you're not wrong about Matt Ryan being an upgrade over Carson Wentz. And so again, it, we, that's good benefit for Michael Pittman, but who else, is there anyone else in this offense that people should be aware of? Some of the options here, Mo Ali Cox, uh, the pride of VCU, former basketball player. Uh, he was, flashed a little bit as a tight end i i kind of I, I i feel like we've been saying this is the year from ali cox know, deep in the fantasy circles for a while but this could certainly be the year jelani woods um a lot of virginia here a lot of virginia ties a uva product to jelani woods there's he's an exciting prospect down the line but i don't think he's ready to ball as a year one tight end um and that's kind of been the talk out of colt's camp as well 
we've got Alec Pierce, the rookie receiver, who I think is a pretty interesting player. And I, I, I there was some sort of talk that he was a little too samey with Michael Pittman. I disagree. I don't think those guys are similar players, really. You can talk about Pierce more if you want. Paris Campbell getting the annual offseason hype as a as a role player for this team. Can he stay healthy? That's really the big question with Paris Campbell. And of course, we've mentioned Naheem Hines. I think we're in on Naheem Hines having some sort of role. But anyone else on this offense um, that you're interested in at all at any level in fantasy? Yeah, I have that Moelle Cox problem too. I, you know, this is certain tight ends. I, I believed in Chris Herndon far too long. Uh, I every year I want to believe every time. Didn't somebody he just sign somewhere? Didn't Chris Herndon just? Sign he did. Uh, was it the Saints? Maybe I think I it's forget. the Saints. Yeah. Well, he can uh, get I've, mentored I've, by Taysom Hill. So that's yeah, nice. I've, I've gotten over. I've gotten over my Chris Herndon belief. <laughs> that's but good. I certainly went down a, a bad path with him. And whenever anybody says Donald Parham looks great in camp, I'm like, yeah, oh. this is the year for Parham. I just love <laughs> that guy. Um, I've had that problem with Mo Ali Cox. In, in the past, he had to share. He wasn't on the field a lot. You talk about, has there ever been a tight end who was a former basketball player? I feel like that theme has showed up maybe, I don't know, 5,000 nah. times. But you see, you see Cox. Now look, tight, tight end is the position where when tight ends win, when tight ends make a splash play, these guys all look superhuman. True. I mean, you think of like uh, Uzuma every once in a while. I mean, he, he would be ignored. He would just be a blocker for the Bengals. And every six weeks, they'd say, oh, okay, let's throw a couple passes to him. And, and he'd catch like a little drag over the middle, run over a guy, stiff arm a guy, get like a 37-yard gain, spike the ball on the sideline. You're like, man, why don't they use him more? He looks pretty good. But that's what the tight end position is. I feel like Mo Ali cox will do that. Every four or five weeks, he'll just absolutely clown one of the defenders. He'll, he'll make a, a great catch. And you're like, this guy couldn't catch seven or eight touchdowns? This guy's really sharing time with Jack Doyle? Well, Jack Doyle's gone. The quarterback has changed. And if you're in a league where you're just drafting like a, a what the heck, maybe this possible upside, this might be one of my first cut tight ends, or you're in a league where there's tight end premium scoring. A lot of, a lot of leagues have that Cox is a guy I'm actually drafting into and maybe I'll be wrong again. So be it as much as we love Pittman, we know there's room for another like 850 yard, six or seven touchdown receiver on this team. I think it's going to be Paris Campbell. I don't know that for sure. It's hard to know what a rookie re receiver will do, you know. So maybe Burks will, will cut into him, but uh, I, I, Paris Campbell's a guy who I could take with one of my last picks, and we, we mentioned it earlier. Naheem Hines, and I know it feels a little bit weird because we all love Taylor, even if you're, you know, under consensus on Taylor, he's a top five pick for everybody. But there's reasons why Naheem Hines didn't catch the ball last year. Those things have been smoothed over. He's going to to the point that Taylor managers are probably going to be frustrated by it. Naheem Hines is, is going to be like McKissick. He's, he's going to be like 63, 542 yeah. and four touchdowns through the air and makes him very playable in PPR formats is like that the third or fourth running back. The guy you go to when your running back room is injured, when bye weeks kick in, you, nobody wants to play him in week one. When your full roster is available, you won't be playing him, but he'll be a pretty useful depth piece in 2022. I actually like him as a best ball player, Naheem Hines, too, because he's going to have those monster spike weeks and they'll be hard to predict but they will be there. And yeah, man, I'm, I'm lockstep with you at, at Moali Cox, man. I mean, look, part of it is he played basketball at VCU. He's from, you know, he, he went to high school in Middleburg, Virginia and Loudoun County. I have to stand. I have to stand Moali Cox legally. It's just what I have to do. But I love the idea. If you don't take one of the top 10 tight ends, if your first tight end pick ends up being, Zach Ertz or Alberto or David Njoku or Pat Fryermuth or something like that. I love then doubling back up and taking Moali Cox because of that upside bet. And I think you'll know pretty soon, right? If if it's if he's still running a route on, you know, 50 to 60% of the dropbacks or something like that, then you know and the targets aren't there, you'll know pretty quick what the Moali Cox situation is going to be. But if he's up there running a route on almost all of Matt Ryan's dropback stuff like that early on in the season, it might happen. And tight end is a late burning position, even though he will be 29 in September. So I agree. He's the guy that I, I will keep a late round uh, eye on. And Alec Pierce too, I do think should be pretty interesting from a deep ball perspective. Although Matt Ryan's not pushed the ball down the field. Right. I, and apologies to, to, to Pierce. Cause I think I conflated him with Burks earlier, but um, yeah, he's, he's a guy there's room for him to have a role in his first year. Not every rookie receiver we can say that about, but there's going to be opportunity for him there. And again, I want to say that if you're looking to 
to play team futures. I, I'm all in on the Colts, man. I, I think they're going 12 and five this year, 11 and 11, and six, whatever it is. I'm still getting used to 17 game season. I, I wish it'd go yeah, back to 16 games, but um, they should easily rule this. Side. And I know come at me, Titan fans, you, you can say what you want. And if I'm wrong on this, you can have, you can throw all the egg on my face and I'll, I'll take it. But I think the Colts are going to have their way in this division. And it's going to be over very, very early. Well, uh, the Titans fans were ready and willing to bring up the torches last year at the national media, and they ended up being right uh, about their team being, you know, at least being right, being the number one seed. For sure. So, and I love yeah, Mike Vrabel. I, I just don't yeah, think Mike Vrabel has Big enough Vrabel talent guy. on his roster. That's the problem. Yeah, I agree with you. All right, that is going to do it for us. Everybody, make sure you go and check out Scott's running back shuffle article and the rest of the series on the website this week. Uh, Charlie's showing up here at the end of the podcast. Uh, it's mailman o'clock. So that's a, uh, we we've officially run out of time here. Scott and I have to go both tend to our dogs. You can follow Scott on Twitter at Scott underscore Pianowski. You can follow me on Twitter at Matt Harmon underscore BYB. And while you're there, make sure you're following at Yahoo fantasy tomorrow. Dalton Del Don makes his long awaited return to the podcast. He'll undoubtedly have plenty of hot takes, crazy stats, uh, maybe some stories from Vegas. And, of course, he's going to help me preview the New Orleans Saints. Until then, we're out.